You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Open your Bibles. We're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians 3. All right. Hope you've had a good week so far. Things are going real good and everybody in a good mood tonight. Hope you had a good night's sleep last night. You're not sitting down here on the nice padded pews saying, well, this feels pretty good. First chance I've had to sit down and be comfortable in a long time. So hopefully your, your heart's here with us tonight. <clears throat> I was listening to a um, conversation that uh, Yvette and Candace, my middle daughter, was having. And I, I don't know if I have all the pieces of the story exactly right, but they were telling about... Um, our, our grandson, Riker, who plays ball. How old Riker's? Oh, he's, he's aging, isn't he? Six. Uh, he's not four anymore. Okay. He's six years old, and um, he plays ball. <clears throat> he goes out onto the ball field, let me put it that way. Uh, playing ball, I'm not sure how much of that gets done, but they, you know those six-year-olds? Anybody ever try to coach little ones? Five, six, seven year old ever try to do that? Yeah, I see the gray hair. Um, Yeah, they sometimes just have their own idea about things, about how to play ball. Um, He had gotten into trouble or he was upset about something and had to, he was crying and so they sent him out on the field anyway. Do you remember the story of that? Yeah. Good so far? And so he gets out on the field. Um, I think he plays like third base, shortstop, somewhere on in there. He's still crying. And so while he's crying, six years old, and well, Riker can really pour the tears on and um, his face is all red and he's standing there with his ball gloves just crying and had no business being out on the field. Hit the ball. The, the guy up at the plate hits the ball right to him. <laughs> Fields the ball, takes it out of his glove, throws the guy out at first base and just keeps on crying. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what a fake. You're a faker. You're just crying on purpose, you know. I love watching the little guys play ball. Um, uh, The two guys out in the field are out in the field. Have you ever seen that? A grasshopper starts hopping between them, and they're both out there trying to catch the grasshopper with their ball gloves. Balls hit right past them. The coach is hollering at them. All the other players are up in the field screaming at them, play ball! And these two guys are out there with their own idea about what they want to be doing for the day, how to have fun. I know I'm wearing the team's um, jersey and I've got a ball glove in my hand, but I'm doing what we think is the funnest and what we think is the best thing to do. And I laugh and laugh at those little kids. You'll see clips of them and uh, uh, videos of them. And it's just, it's one of my funnest things to do is watch children play. That's really funny as long as it's children. But when it comes down to a church and you bring it into the house of God, 
Paul comes up and he steps up to the plate. He looks out and sees the two guys in the outfield doing what they are doing and recognizes we're not all on the same team here. We're not all playing the same game. Our minds are not going in the same direction. And he can see that. And he is addressing this church here at Corinth. Understand he's addressing a body of believers. It would be like Paul being invited to come to our church knowing what he knew here, only it was about our church. And he steps up, can I say to the plate, and begins to address Eastside Baptist Church about factions and divisions of people who have been in a, in a divided way. Some of us are playing one game. Some of us are following uh, another leader and doing what they think is best. Something has caught their interest in such a way that they're following that program or this mindset or what this person thinks we ought to be doing while maybe somebody else over here is trying to lead in this way. Then you've got somebody else that maybe is a strong leader in this area and you really just don't have a body of believers moving in the, in the direction they really ought to go. Um, maybe, maybe the pastor is trying to lead in a certain way and part of the people are trying to follow the pastor, others are following this. I, I've used this example before. I was sitting about where Alfredo is right down here about three rows back years ago and, uh, and uh, a missionary or somebody was speaking and I was really engrossed in the message and I had my legs crossed, Bible was on my cross leg and I was listening intently and um, he preached for 30 or 40 minutes and, and he got done and um, he just closed his Bible and said, Brother Spencer, would you come up and take, take the service? And I usually I'd love to have them start the invitation. It seems to go a little better when the guy that preached at least starts the invitation. So caught me off guard. I threw my leg down jumped out into the aisle and took off walking what I thought was going to be walking and somebody had cut one of my legs off. I, it just was not there. And I remember taking a step with the leg I had and this other one was so asleep. It was, it was dead weight. And, and you guys were all out there watching me and I was literally slinging. I was slinging my leg to get it to follow me and you come to a set of steps and try to get up with a dead leg. I kind of half hopped up and it was most awkward thing in the world. And you think the church was ready for an invitation after that? Um, it was, it was pretty embarrassing. Part of the body was working and going in one direction. The other part of the body was wanting to do its own thing. And I will tell you this, it'll kill a vision. It'll kill a church the function that a church could have will be stifled at best if not sent tumbling backwards if a church decides to section off with mindsets uh, that want to lead us in directions that is not from God's direction. I will say this, uh, it's not just to defend myself as the pastor or anything, nor am I saying we've got issues going on here. But I will say I believe God gives the pastor the direction for the church I think that's scriptural. Find it in numerous places in the Bible um, where God gives the direction to the pastor. The pastor shares that vision, the, the mind of Christ with his leaders and those leaders pass it on down to folks that they are working with and trying to nurture and bring along. As that church functions together and rolls like a wheel, my goodness, you can do so much for the Lord. This church has had somebody come along and 
has anybody ever poked a stick in your bike spoke while you were riding along? And has stuck a stick in the bike spoke and the bike is tumbling and the job's not getting done. So he's trying to bring this back into perspective. And if you'll start with me, last week we read the first four verses and, well, we read first 11 verses. I dealt with the first four verses. We'll briefly rehearse the first four. Then I want to finish up the message I had uh, intended to finish last week. Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For, let me give you some examples, he says. Whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men, which he means by that is men in the world, people who don't know Christ. And we start acting like somebody that's not even saved. And then we're just not much better than a social club. Verse 4, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another saith, I am of Paulus, are ye not carnal? It deserves an answer. Yes, that is a carnal congregation. Verse 5, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? Now listen to this, it's so good. But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, drawing some big conclusions here as he goes along, guys. So then, um, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. They have the one body that works together. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. He means as they're working together within that body of believers. For we are laborers together with God. Now listen to how he describes that though. Ye are God's husbandry. That's like a garden. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I've laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we'll pause there and we'll pray. God, thank you for letting us get back into the word again here tonight. As I've already said, I asked you for your anointing to preach your word, and please may the Holy Spirit... Speak to our hearts, God. I, <clears throat> I have some idea where we're at as a congregation, but I know the Holy Spirit is very well aware where all of our hearts are. And as you look down from heaven at us, you know if we are a body in the same um, spirit, with the same vision and with the same drive, you know that. And I'm asking you to open our eyes of understanding and show us, God, who we are and how we are in this body of believers and help us to get the right perspective, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started off those first four verses. He pretty much says, you guys are acting like babies. You're the children out on the ball field. You're the, you're the guys out there chasing the butterfly or the grasshopper. And the real game that's going on is not getting done because 
they're hitting the ball past you and we're not really in the game. That's what he's trying to say to them. You're just, you're like little babies and I have to talk to you like little babies. I have to talk down like where you just got saved and we're having to give you, you know, the, the milk of the word once again. And Hebrews 6 describes that even more clearly, what that's all about and what those teachings are. And after you mature and you've grown in the Lord, God says we ought to be able to feed you the meat of the word that can strengthen your walk with God. You on an individual level are strengthened in the Lord and you feel like I can do more for God. As a body of believers, as we're fed the meat of the word of God, that congregation is a stronger congregation. Uh, storms can come at us and we're able to withstand storms that used to just kind of blow us off uh, the shoreline, so to speak. And we should be stronger if you are a congregation that's working hand in hand and walking with the Lord. It's not all about my way. It's not all about somebody saying that, uh, why aren't you following me? Or, or uh, trying to factionalize a group of people away from another group or even the pastor. And I'm, I'm just saying Paul is very clear about this. The church that is a church that is acting like God wants us to be is a church that's walking together under the leadership of that church, going together with a vision of God to uh, reach that city, that town for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's correcting them. And that's what he's spent time doing. We, we talked about it's one thing to act childish. It's another thing to act childlike. We need to be childlike. We can't be childish. It's time to um, it's time to take the bottles out and and get down to the meat of the Word of God. So, the corrected church. I want to talk to you about that as my second point. I was unable to get to last week. This is the corrected church. This is the body that has gotten things right and perspective is now being brought back. And he's got the attention of the two little guys in the outfield and they're actually listening to the coach now and they're wanting to play this game right. They want to get church right. So the corrected church begins in verse 5 down through verse 11. Looking forward to verses 12 to 17, Lord willing, next week. So Paul brings this carnal-minded, child-minded church back to some foundational truths. Things that they should have remembered from years ago. Things that should have kept them from dividing uh, between each other and one group over here and another here and so forth. And he's going to bring them back to some real basic truths. And what we're going to see again here tonight are those basic truths. And help us, God help us to remember these as we walk through these here tonight. First, he describes himself, um, him and Apollos, those who others were taking sides for. I know some of you were teaming up with, you know, you were saying you were of me and others of Apollos and others of Peter and and so forth. But he, he describes those men and puts them into perspective. And Paul drives home the truth that he and Apollos were just ministers of God or tools in God's hand. That's all... A, a preacher is. I, I don't look at myself as being something special or anything greater than anybody else that sits in the pew when I stand up here. I don't look at that in that way whatsoever. Uh, I, I do know that there have been times in uh, churches, maybe there's even been times in my young Christian life when I was in Bible college and fresh out of Bible college that I really looked up to some men. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we ought to look to some men who've left behind great legacies and great examples that would encourage you 
and challenge you to go on and to walk with God like they walked with God. Part of the problem sometimes with young preachers and a lot of young Christians is that man that they are following becomes more to them than just a tool of God that directs them to God. They almost become an idol to them. And uh, you know, it was funny, J. Frank Norris, has anybody ever heard that name? J. Frank Norris, one of the leaders of fundamentalism. Years ago, um, when he used to have his picture taken, he pastored two churches at the same time, one in Detroit and one down in Fort Worth, Texas, running many thousands, both of them. Uh, every other Sunday he was in one or the other church and would fly out to the next one the next week. You'd watch um, the pictures when somebody would take a professional picture of him. For some reason, it was common in that day to just tuck your hand uh, under your coat like that. And that's how you'd have his picture taken. Look at all of the men graduating from that college back in that day. Guess how they were standing? <laughs> just like this. Every one of them had their hand tucked under their coat. They wanted to be like their leader. Now, that's okay if you want to be like a leader as long as you emulate the one who is pointing you to God, following them as they are following God. Is everybody listening to that? I want that to ring in your ears tonight. Follow men as they follow God. But when your followship stops with that man and everything you do rises and falls on what that man says or does not say, and you cease to go to the word of God, to get whether or not what he is saying is true from the word of God, then friend, you've got yourself an idol. And you're following a man. And if it's in the house of God, it could be your best friend at the house of God that you're following their direction or their leadership. And before you know it, sometimes without even your friend realizing it, you can sometimes move off center base and uh, you've got your own little agenda doing your own little program without realizing how much you're moving away from the vision that God is giving to the direction and leadership of the church if you're not careful. Here's what Paul says to them. Yep, I'm the Apostle Paul. And Apollos is a great leader in our church. And if you want to say we're good examples to follow, then I, I humbly say praise the Lord for that. But I just want you to know, he says, we are just tools in the hand of God. Can you imagine building a building? And, uh, and, and they get all done with the building and, and, and you've seen carpenters going in and out week after week working on the building. They're carrying bags of tools and hand saws and hammers and screwdrivers and electric tools and on and on. And, and they get done with this great building and sometimes it'll be in honor of somebody. But have you ever heard of anybody naming a building the handsaw or the screwdriver? That's the name of this huge towering building we want this to be. You don't do that. Those were just tools that helped build the building. And when we try to elevate men to the place where God is somewhere either beside you and in some cases behind you and he's no longer here in your heart and mind, then you've placed a man in his wrong position. And Paul is saying we cannot have that as a congregation. You'll not be a body of believers moving along in the motion that God would have us to go. He drives home that truth that he and Apollos were just ministers of God, tools in his hands and it was, here's the deal that they were missing. Here's the big point. 
It was God's doing that led Paul and Apollos to them. God was the one that brought the Apostle Paul and sat him down in front of the Corinthian believers and let him be a great tool to nurture them along and and the, the Apostle Peter and Apollos. God was the one with his strength and energy who brought those men before them. Had it not been for God, Paul and Apollos wouldn't even be in the picture. Men are just tools, they're trowels, they're hammers in the hand of God. God is the one who should be emphasized in the church and not a man. And it is true. Let me just back up and say what some might be thinking. Everybody's still listening to this. Men hold certain biblical positions and those positions deserve to be shown godly respect. Would you agree with that? Before I ever dreamed I would even be a pastor, I knew in my heart When my pastor Dale Chambers preached from the Word of God and showed us the scriptures that taught that it's right to honor the position of the pastor, I just knew that in my heart. And I felt really strongly as a little boy growing up into Bible college, coming to this church under Pastor Rick Henry, I elevated the position of the pastor. It was a position that was God-given. But let me remind you of this then. Every man, pastors, And missionaries and evangelists are men at best. It's the position they hold that is to be revered and respected. And of course, the man standing in that position is the way you show that respect and honor. We understand that too. I'm not trying to minimize the respect and honor that should be given to to men of uh, of those natures. But, But what I am saying is, even as a pastor, uh, In the manner that God tells me to be used, I want to be used 100%. But at the end of the day, do you understand? I still just go back into the toolbox with everybody else. And God is the master who sits over it all. The problem with the Corinthian church was they started elevating men in the church. And this guy was popping up over here and these guys would follow him in a direction And the pastor would try to lead in another direction. And these men were going in another direction. Um, We talk about having cliques in churches. To the degree that a church develops cliques, if they are in the truest sense, a clique. And that group of whoever they happen to be operates together, listen to me, to the exclusion of others, whether you know it or not, uh, is really a faction in a church and it would do us all good every now and then wouldn't it guys to stop and look at ourselves and see am I part of a group that we just get along so well together and we function so good and I just feel so good when I'm with these people that I don't even realize that there's others on the outside they walk past me to see if they can kind of slip into the group but somehow I did not include them you know what I'm saying we're busy and caught up with our enjoying ourselves it's so easily done in an effort to be fellowshipy and friendly with our friends. We sometimes forget we're not being friendly. We're not having fellowship with others. This is something we need to watch out and be careful um, how we as a church do a little inventory every now and then to be good for us. So in the church, we're all just ministers trying to get the work of, the, of a great God accomplished. We can't run around and act like we have team captains that are he's the one I run behind and he's the one I I follow now if 
you're following the man as they follow God. If you follow that great uh, woman as she's following God, praise the Lord. But be careful if they are the end all of everything that you do, we are wrong to do that. And Paul's trying to bring that out. Who was Paul? Who was Apollos? He said, verse 5, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord as the Lord gave to every man. And what he's saying is, if God hadn't given, you wouldn't have had these men that have brought you to Christ and to serve the Lord. Everybody has a different function in the body, but God is the one who makes our efforts fruitful. Look in verse 7. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Let me, let me pause on that for just a little bit. We have to be careful that our respect for someone doesn't become more than God ever intended it to be. When that happens, again, and I'm, I'm repeating myself some, when that happens, we minimize God in our blinded efforts to maximize a man. Uh, even angels don't allow men to bow down and worship them. And yet without realizing it, sometimes guys, we do that ourselves. He carries it a little further there in verse nine. Um, For we are laborers together with God. He says, ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Now look back up here. Now he's talking to, if you look over there in chapter one, uh, look in, matter of fact, in chapter one, verse two, chapter one, verse two, look at that. Who was this written to? Unto, need you to see it, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Pause button, look back up here. So this letter is being written to the entire church, a body of believers. And so he says to this church in verse 9, uh, we are laborers together with God. Ye are this church, you're God's husbandry. He goes on to say, you're also God's building. Now, now let's look up here and let's, let's talk about that for just um, a little bit. So if I'm God's husbandry or the garden of God, what he's saying is, and he told you this earlier, um, God is the one that allows seed in my heart to develop, to blossom, to begin to grow. He uses the wording in verse 6, Um, I've planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It was God that worked in your heart to bring you individually to Christ. Or you wouldn't have gotten saved. I know a lot of great preachers and I wish I could preach like many guys that I've heard preach before. But one thing I know is true. It wasn't the preacher that caused salvation to happen. It was God that gave the increase working through that man. And when you got saved, you got saved because the Holy Spirit of God was working through that man and brought conviction to your heart. He's also saying to this body of believers here tonight, we're like a garden or a building. And if we really expect that it's something that a man can do to bring about good fruit and to cause great things to really happen, you're sorely mistaken because God is the master gardener. And if God doesn't do it, it, uh, the workman laboreth but in vain. If it's not the Lord building the house, we labor in vain. That's what he's trying to say. Don't put a man up there in a place where he ought not to be. It wasn't that man that's causing uh, things to happen in such a tremendous way. I know some tremendous preachers 
And I know preachers that preach and people get saved. I mean, genuinely. It seems like they're genuine salvations every week in some larger churches. I praise God for them. But it's not that man. Oh, if we only had that man at our church. uh, Oh, we could get so much done. Hey, listen. How about getting God at that church? How about understanding God is the gardener? God is the one that plants in the heart. God is the one that gives increase in the lives of people. So what are you saying? I'm saying if you'd pray and beg God on a weekly basis, even on a daily basis, God, would you through the Holy Spirit of God give increase at our church this coming Sunday? Would God please give the increase as the word of God is preached and let God be the one that is glorified and lifted up. Help us not to be so guilty of placing men up in positions like they are the important ones in a congregation. It's really all about God. And that's where he's driving us to here tonight. Be careful that we get so caught up in thinking maybe I have no problem with programs and, and um, efforts to try to increase, um, you know, the attendance maybe one Sunday or things like that. But I will tell you this, it's not the programs that are going to change what happens at a church. It's God working through men with yielded hearts. God's the one that puts the tomatoes on. God's the one that lets the corn grow on the stalk. But, but once God produces, we can all work together to get the work of the Lord done. As God gives increase, our job is to help nurture those people, help them to grow up in Christ as a tool in the hand of God. I, I'll say what I said last Thursday night. No, last Wednesday night. Um, The way a body gets things done is the body works together. When we're we're doing something, when we're trying to do something to reach our city for Christ, as the body comes together, you get so much more done. And And I would just challenge you. Could we come together as a body and reach out to our city? Uh, and again, we'll finish up. We've only got one, two, I think three more buildings out of 12 or 15 or 20 buildings that were up here uh, in the apartments. And then we're going to hit these houses here uh, alongside of those before we go back out to where we got to last year. But it's just time to go through these, this housing addition again. And as we all work together, well, we had Sunday. A lady named Nancy came to visit our church last Sunday because somebody knocked on her door last Thursday night and invited her, a family from Haiti. And the mothers was so upset at the children because they opened the door without her permission. Why did you open that door? And she told us Sunday. She said, I said to them, why did you open that door? And she said, but oh, mommy, these, they were church people. Oh, and she took the information and came to church Sunday. Praise the Lord. Hey, let's find those people that knocked on the door. Let's, let's put them up on a podium. What do you say? Let's just call them the greatest thing that's ever happened to Eastside Baptist Church. Or should we just say, thank you, God, for using a tool here at our church to try to accomplish some things for the Lord. And as we're working together as a body of believers, this is how things will get accomplished. It's just the plan of God. It's how God designed that. As an apostle... 
Paul was just the general contractor, the guy running around with tools in his hands. He's helping guide and direct others in how to build the building. But first notice that everything Paul accomplished was only because of the grace of God that had been gifted to him. Look in verse 10. We're down to the end now. Verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me. That's really important. And Paul is trying to get them to understand It's not because I'm such a great guy. It's only because God gave me grace. That's how I'm to be this minister. Verse 10 again, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, somebody listening to the voice of God, I've laid the foundation. He's not saying uh, I had a foundation that I could just lay out there. What he's saying is I know what the foundation is for a church. I know what a church needs to build upon. I preach the truth of the word of God. In that sense, he laid the foundation. He was telling them what the truth was about Jesus Christ and about how a body of believers move along together. And and look at it again. Um, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereupon or thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Be careful, guys, he says. Because it's so easy to get sidetracked and into your own little thoughts and your your own ideas. And a a church is kind of factionalized. And boy, Sunday mornings. When we say amen and, and all the people that come on Sunday mornings, we go in so many different directions. You say, well, preacher, we all head out to our cars and then we all go eat, right? No, I don't mean just that. I'm saying in our hearts, we're walking out of here with so many different hearts. Folks that are trying to grow in the Lord, folks that are trying to understand what I'm even preaching about, and others that are hungry for the word of God. We all have so many different directions. God help us to come together as a body that has this one mind that's that's flowing together and God is producing through us with the grace of God that he gives to men, some of the great works of the Lord. So with the grace that he was given to uh, that was given to him he preached Christ who was the foundation of the Christian at Corinth. And then others would take these young Christians and help build them up even further. They were just other tools in the hand of God. And that's what laborers in the church are. Those who help build on the one foundation of Jesus Christ. But one thing and I'm going to I'm going to be done these last couple of statements here. One thing is very clear to Paul. Listen up, and I'll I'll wrap this up in a couple of statements here. Paul was very clear. There was only one foundation that can be laid in a church. There's not many people that can be called the foundation or those upon whom I'm going to follow. They mean so much to me. I just, my whole life is about them, and I'm following them, and and you don't even realize you're, you're excluding God in the main plan. He says there's only one foundation. It cannot be many different people. We're all just tools. So consequently, he says in verse 11, look at it with me. How about us reading this out loud together? Verse 11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. There is no other man, guru, tremendous preacher. Maybe, maybe they are a tremendous preacher, and are doing a great job, and God has used that man to do some great things. But at the end of the day, when that man pulls his covers up around his neck, he's just another hammer, another pair of pliers, 
that God chose to give him grace to be able to serve him with, to help build up a church. Do we, do we understand that here at Eastside? I, I believe we, we know that, but I, every now and then we need to have the bell rung a little bit just to maybe stop and do a little inventory and see just where I really am. Jesus Christ is our one and only foundation that we are building this ministry on. Is he the foundation that you're building your individual life upon? Or is it a little bit of you, a little bit of this? Oh yeah, and then there's God. Or is he your driving force in your life? It's the only way to real success and happiness and joy is to let Jesus Christ be first. So look in your own heart tonight. See and examine that. Is that the case with me and the Lord? Great passage of scripture for a lot of reasons. Very humbling as a preacher to read that again and just to be reminded. If there's anything that's ever happened here at our church for the good, I remember some really good people at our church back over on uh, 101 North Sycamore, the building that we were in just before this one. And we had just moved from 622 South Sycamore and only the folks who were in that building can understand the joy of moving to 101 North Sycamore. <laughs> um, you guys, first wedding performed there, Ken and Rosalind. And uh, it, was, uh, it was such a blessing. And we were walking around and the deal was all but made. And I was walking them through the church and the realtor was showing them what it's going to be like when you move in here. And a very well-meaning, and I mean that with all my heart, a very well-meaning person walked up to me and took me by the hand and said, Pastor, you know why this is happening, don't you? Well, I knew in my heart why. And he took me by the hand and shook it. And he says, it's because of you. You're the one that's brought this about. And man, a knife went through my heart. I knew what they were trying to do. They're trying to be honoring, honoring. And they were excited about the building and so forth. But I just immediately said, oh, no, this could only be of God. This is the hand of God. And when your Sunday school class is done, it's been taught and you feel like it was a great day and it was one of those lessons that the bell was rung and it seemed like even the, <laughs> the little kids in the outfield, so to speak, even got it. When you're going home and you feel like you've had a real good day, it'd do you good just to lay down in bed at night and look up and say to the God in heaven, only God can do something like that. It's a great, great passage of scripture to hold on to and a great passage for our church to cling to tonight. Hope you'll be back next Wednesday night. Uh, it's a great passage also. I think it'll be a, a real blessing to us as we look at it again. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.